Ibshman Experience, episode 37. The Philosopher Samurai, Musashi. to be honest before I get going with this one. Two things. Number one, before I started researching Musashi, I couldn't really remember at what point in the Warring States period he showed up. It turns out conveniently for chronological order's sake, he shows up towards the end of the era and into the Tokugawa Shogunate. So Musashi works out perfectly for me to bookend my coverage of the Samurai of the Warring States era. Also, I should point out that this time period in Japanese history is called Sangoku Jidai, which literally translates to Warring States period. Some people have also called it, including myself, the Sangoku era. Number two, I also had some surface-level knowledge of this time period in Japanese history because of a video game series that I played in my teens called Samurai Warriors, which is set during this time period. The people I've covered the previous four episodes, Shingen... Kenshin, Nobunaga, Hideyoshi, and Ieyasu were all playable characters, and so was Musashi in a later installment. So I may have had a slight bias in wanting to cover this time period because I was already somewhat familiar with it, but that said, there were still loads of details that I learned these past couple of months that were not featured in the games for obvious reasons. And this brings me back to Musashi, the wandering swordsman who was also a philosopher, an artist, an author. He is considered to be one of, if not the greatest, swordsman to have ever lived. You know, Mike Tyson in his prime once said, I can beat anyone in a fair fight. This seemed to be the case for Musashi, as he was undefeated in duels, having defeated 61 opponents without a loss. Now the cliche question when doing these uh, character profiles, these biographies, my takes on them, is, but who was he? And in the case of Musashi, this is somewhat of an apt question, because the early details of his life are somewhat unclear, but let's first go over what is generally known about Musashi. So, Musashi Miyamoto was born in 1584 
in a village called Miyamoto in the Mimisaka province of Japan. His father, Munisai, who I'm just going to refer to as Muni, was an accomplished swordsman himself, as well as being proficient in jujitsu. His father was invited to a competition in the capital of Kyoto and to face off against a skilled warrior in front of the shogun of that time. His father won two out of three rounds and earned himself the title of Heihosho. The title means without equal. Muni wanted to teach his young son Musashi everything he knew about the fighting arts. Musashi's training began at the age of seven, and he was a quick learner. He was also known to be obstinate with his father, regularly arguing with him and even criticizing him. This would result in Muni often becoming violent with Musashi. On the last occasion where Muni had had enough with the young Musashi, he took a knife and threw it at him, which Musashi was barely able to avoid. The knife was lodged in the wall to the side of Musashi's head, and Musashi apparently criticized his father again about his throwing skill. Muni wasn't done, however, as he grabbed Musashi and threw him out of the house. And now the young seven-year-old had to leave and would travel to the province of Harima to live with his uncle Durin. His uncle was very different from his father. Durin was at one time a fighter, but had renounced that lifestyle in order to become a Buddhist monk, to pursue meditation and study philosophy, in order to gain spiritual insight. Durin would also be the one to teach Musashi how to read and write. Just like when he was with his father, Musashi was a quick learner to his uncle's teachings. But that first fire in him, from when he still lived with his father, that, that fire to pursue the fighting arts, it wouldn't die. Musashi, by the age of 13, still very, very young and very restless. He still wished to pursue these arts of martial arts and weapon fighting, sword techniques, as well as his meditations. And when he wasn't studying or meditating with his uncle, Musashi would go out into the woods by himself and still practice swordsmanship. He would use a wooden sword and practice against the trees often imagining fighting his father, who he was still angry at for throwing him out, and seemed to want to outdo him. The first step in this journey would present itself in the form of a traveling warrior by the name of Kihai. Kihai had been placing signs along the river and at other posts near uh, the town, challenging anyone who thought they could beat him in a duel. Musashi saw one of these signs and decided to accept the challenge, going so far as to write his own name on the sign. When Musashi showed up for the challenge, Kihai scoffed and 
thought that this was some sort of a joke being played on him. The thing to remember here is that Kihai is a full-grown adult, likely in his mid-twenties, maybe early thirties, and Musashi is still just a boy of thirteen. Kihai decided to accept the challenge because he figured it'd be a good way to teach this young kid a lesson. Musashi, on the day of the duel, used a six-foot quarterstaff. And to the surprise of the people watching, Musashi managed to catch Kihai off guard and struck him in between the eyes with his staff and knocked him to the ground. Musashi didn't stop there. He continued to beat on Kihai while he was still on the ground until he died. When his uncle Duren found out what he had done, he was shocked, needless to say. Musashi only stayed in the village for about three years before he finally needed to leave. Which worked out for him because he wanted to find his place in the world. So he decides to go west until he finally arrives at a town called Nekatsu where he would actually find a familiar face, his father. Muni was in the service of the castle lord, who was planning to attack the island of Kyushu, just off the southern coast of Japan. The conflict between the, co the Western Coalition and Ieyasu Tokugawa was building, and the Coalition wanted to bring Kyushu to its side but the island's inhabitants were split, with one half wanting to side with Ieyasu, and the other half wanting to join the coalition. Muni recruited his son for this cause. There's no real account, at least that I could find, on what that reunion might have been like, but my guess is that Muni must have thought that since nearly a decade had passed since he last saw his son, that maybe it was a good idea to at least try to make amends. Muni recruited Musashi, and together they took part in bringing Kyushu under the fold of the coalition. This was Musashi's first taste of actual warfare. Fast forward after the Battle of Sekigahara, and the Western Coalition is defeated, Muni decides to retire. Musashi, on the other hand, was still eager for more combat despite being on the losing side. But the problem for him was, the country was now entering a period of stability under the new Tokugawa shogunate. So there were no large battles left to fight. The only choice left for him was to perfect the art of swordsmanship. He set out to find other masters to study under and duel against and defeat. He started by going to Kyoto and practicing with the Yoshioka clan, who were renowned in the area for their prowess in duels. Musashi's first goal was just to simply defeat one member of the clan. That was it. 
if he could beat one member, then he knew that he would be, let's just say, on the fast track to gaining renown by others in the country as being a master swordsman. Usashi won three separate duels in one day. The story goes that the first duel against a member of the clan named Sejuro, Usashi caught him off guard in a manner similar to his duel against Kihai years ago. The brother of Sejuro was outraged that Musashi would attack when his brother wasn't ready, and challenged Musashi on the spot. He charged at Musashi preemptively to try and land a killer blow on Musashi. Musashi was able to evade the attack and wrestled the weapon from the man. Musashi had now bested the Yoshioka clan twice. As Musashi left and was returning to the hostel that he was staying in, the nephew of Sejuro, named Denshichiro, showed up with dozens of Yoshiaka clansmen to gang up on Musashi and kill him. When they arrived, Musashi charged and quickly disposed of Denshichiro, which caused the rest of the clan to flee. And as impressive a feat as this was, Musashi still had a lot left to learn before he would be considered the greatest swordsman in the nation. So he decides to move on, and goes to a temple called Nara, where he would face off against Buddhists who specialized in fighting with spears. They took Musashi in, and agreed to duel with him. This was partly because the master was intrigued by Musashi's fighting style, which was fighting with two swords at once. The temple master arranged for Musashi to face its champion, Doai, in two fights. In both fights, Doai was not able to get the upper hand against Musashi despite having a reach advantage with a longer weapon. Musashi would leave Nara much more peacefully than his time with the Yoshioka, and continued his travels until he reached Edo. This was a town that was filled to the brim with duelists, and Musashi decides to open up his own dojo while he was here, which you have to think that the simple act of opening up your own dojo in a town filled with other dojos is kind of an open challenge saying, hey, I'm setting up shop because I think I can best the rest of you here. He would have stiff competition as the other dojos were ran by veterans of the Warring States era. Three notable duels he has here are against Shishido, who specialized in the Kusarigama, which are hooked weapons linked together with a metal chain. Think of them as nunchucks with hooks. Another one against Gonosuke, who specialized in a five-foot staff, and a two-on-one fight with Hayashi and Sujikaze. He defeats them all. His fame has begun to spread throughout Edo, 
and students were beginning to flock to his dojo to learn his unique fighting style. He was at one point invited to instruct at Edo Castle, home of the Tokugawa Shogun. He declined when he heard that members of the Yagyu clan would be in attendance. Now on a side but related note, this is odd to me that Musashi didn't attend because of this clan, because later on in his life, he would run into a Yagyu clan member named Hyogonosuke, and upon meeting each other for the first time, rather than fight each other, they would talk as if they were old friends. Anyway, back to the timeline. After spending seven years in Edo, Musashi decided to return to the town of his father. He heard that his father had set up his own dojo and had been teaching ever since his retirement as a warrior. So Musashi began making his way back to his hometown. During his journey home, he stopped at the island of Funa, where Musashi would meet the opponent he is most remembered for facing, Kojiro Sasaki. Kojiro mirrored Musashi in a lot of ways, as he himself had developed an effective fighting style with a longsword, fought and won numerous duels, and had his own school with a large following. Who initiated the challenge is unclear. Some say that it was Kojiro out of a sense of rivalry or jealousy, while others believe that it was arranged by a lord of the Hosokawa clan, who had taken up residence on the island after the Battle of Sekigahara. Either way, the match happens. And a good piece of information that I liked about the duel comes from a book by a man named Dave Lowry called Boken, Art of the Japanese Sword, and it goes like this quote. The duel was scheduled for April 13, 1612 when Musashi was approximately 30 years old. The departure by boat for the duel was arranged for the hour of the dragon in the early morning, approximately 8 a.m., to the island of Ganryujima, a small isle between Honshu and Kyushu. While Hosokawa officials banned spectators, the island was filled with them anyway. Kojiro was known for wielding an oversized nodachi, a Japanese greatsword called a laundry drying pole for its length, as well as being titled Three Shaku Silver Blade. Using this sword, Kojiro was said to be known for a swift two-stroke sword technique called Tsubame Gaeshi, and he bore the nickname the Demon of the Western Provinces. Kojiro arrived at the appointed time, but was then left to wait for hours. Musashi had overslept. Kojiro sent out servants to retrieve Musashi, who ate a full breakfast, taking his time. In some variants of the tale, Musashi intentionally arrives late as a sign of disrespect. As he sailed over the Kanmon Straits, Musashi carved a crude oversized boken from one of the ship's oars with a knife, making an improvised wooden sword, possibly to help wake himself up. 
Upon his arrival, an irritated Kojiro chided Musashi's lateness and dramatically threw his scabbard into the sea as a sign that he would not stop and would fight to the death. Musashi responded with a taunt of his own, saying that Kojiro clearly wasn't confident in himself if he thought he'd never get a chance to use a fine scabbard again. The two circled each other, and Kojiro leaped toward Musashi with his trademark overhead strike. Musashi, too, jumped and swung his weapon with a shout, and the two sword strokes met. Musashi's headband fell off, sliced by Kojiro's sword, but somehow only the headband was cut, rather than Musashi's skull. Musashi's strike, meanwhile, had struck true, cleaving Kojiro's skull. End quote. After the duel, Musashi continued back to his hometown to work with his father until he died three years later. It was around this time that one of Musashi's former students during his time in Edo, a man named Katsunari, wrote to Musashi that a rebellion was taking place in one of the western provinces. Katsunari asked Musashi if he would join him in taking part in putting down the rebellion as well as to help protect Katsunari's son, who was uh, seeing battle for the first time. Musashi agreed, seeing this as a chance for him to get into the thick of things again, and took part in the campaign. During this campaign, Musashi became friends with a man named Shimanosuke, and they fought side by side up to the final battle, which was the siege of Osaka Castle. The siege was successful, but Musashi's friend Shimonosuke died in the battle. Shimonosuke had an 11-year-old son, Mikinosuke, who now needed a guardian. Musashi took it on himself to honor his fallen friend by adopting his son. Musashi took his newly adopted son to the town of Hirofuku, where Musashi's now elderly stepmother lived. While here... The governorship of the town was changing hands with the old lord stepping down and the new lord, Tadamasa Honda, stepping in. Musashi saw this as an opportunity to get his son a good job. Musashi spoke to Tadamasa, who had witnessed Musashi's skill at Osaka, and Tadamasa agreed to hire the young teen since he was being vouched for by Musashi. In the meantime, in the next town over, a place called Akashi, Musashi was helping with the construction of its new castle. He was placed in charge of the castle gardens, and was also tasked with the construction of a tea house. Inside the gardens were miniature versions of mountains and lakes of other places in Japan. Musashi apparently had quite the eye for detail, and was meticulous for the shaping and placement of each piece. He also kept teaching new students the art of fighting with two swords and received regular word from Lord Honda about how well Musashi's son was working, which was apparently excellent. Things were going good for a while. These would be the happiest years of Musashi's life. In 1626, Lord Honda would become ill and would die of tuberculosis. Musashi, in this moment, 
wished that the, cult the culture of his country were different when it came to retainers. Since the lord his son was serving had died, it was custom as a retainer to commit seppuku. Mikinosuke's death would leave an emotional scar on Musashi that he would never fully recover from. For almost a year, he wouldn't accept visitors, he would often go out into the wilderness to meditate and try to come to terms with his son's death. Fate would seem to present Musashi with another circumstance similar to his first adopted child. Musashi had an elder brother who was a poor farmer and had adopted his own child. His brother died from causes unknown and left a young boy named Ayori. Musashi took his nephew as his own. Like his first son, Musashi found a good job for his second son working for the Lord of Kyushu. This time, Musashi moved to Kyushu as well in order to be closer to his son. He would open a dojo and work there until he felt that his son was able to take care of himself, which Musashi, as you could imagine, not only checked on his son, but his son's lord. Once he felt his son was safe enough to fend for himself, and Musashi now becoming advanced in years, moved to the mountains of Iwato. His health was failing him and he suffered from severe neuralgia attacks. For the last few years of his life, he would cope with the pain he had developed from years of fighting. He would meditate, begin writing the works for which he is remembered. Gorinsho, which translates to the Book of Five Rings. The Five Rings are in reference to the Five Elements in Buddhist philosophy. Earth, fire, water, wind, and void. The other is a very short piece called Dokodo, Dokado, which translates the way of walking alone, and is considered a companion piece to the first book. The first book, the Book of Five Rings, the Book of Earth, the chapter, serves as an introduction and metaphorically discusses martial arts, leadership, and how training is like building a house. The chapter of water describes Musashi's fighting style, and it describes some basic techniques and fundamental principles. The Book of Fire refers to the heat of battle and discusses matters such as different types of timing. The Book of Wind, the chapter of wind, is something of a pun since the Japanese character for wind can also mean style. It discusses what Musashi considers to be the failings of the previous contemporary schools of sword fighting. And the chapter of the void is kind of a short epilogue and describes in more esoteric terms Musashi's Zen-influenced thoughts on consciousness and the correct mindset. The second book, The Way of Walking Alone, is 21 principles that Musashi wrote down 
on how to properly live life, how to go through it. And Musashi felt that this book could apply to anyone and not just those following the path of swordsmanship or martial arts. Both books contain wisdom that I think we can use in our everyday lives. And so I picked my favorite five sayings from Musashi, but I just want to make it clear that between the two books there are easily over 30 things that Musashi has to say that I think could be useful to various aspects of life, and so I encourage you, the listener, to look up the Book of Five Rings and Dokado, The Way of Walking Alone, for yourselves. And so the first saying from Musashi is, quote, The ultimate aim of martial arts is not having to use them. End quote. Now, this doesn't sound that deep at first, but let me break this down for you a bit. One of my favorite speakers, and also someone who I think is one of the great thinkers of our time, Dr. Jordan Peterson, said something very interesting about a line in the New Testament. Trust me, this is going to connect. And the line is, those who are meek shall inherit the earth, and that this has been misunderstood to mean to be timid and to be shy. What it more accurately means is to be capable of fighting, but choosing not to. Like how it is better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. That's the virtue of that line, and more specifically, what Musashi says about the ultimate aim of martial arts not having to use them. That's the virtue trying to be conveyed here. The second, the second uh, saying from Musashi is about truth. Or to put it more aptly, about living in denial. He says, quote, Truth is not what you want it to be. It is what it is and you must bend to its power, or live a lie." End quote. We see a lot of this denial in mainstream today. A lot of fakeness online. A lot of people blaming their circumstances on everyone from their parents, to the rich, to society, the government, so on and so forth. But the only person the only person you have to blame for where you are in your life is yourself. Which that brings me to the next point from Musashi. The third point is about accepting the truth and leaving the world of lies. Musashi said about this, quote, The path that leads to truth is littered with the bodies of the ignorant. There is a point for some where they have their eyes opened to the truth, and you can't explain it, but you know it now, and it's more real than you could have ever imagined. You begin to notice that so many others, many of them might be your family or your, or your friends, it varies person to person, but you have to 
leave them behind because they haven't, let's just say, awoken. They're still sleepers, so to speak. They aren't, they aren't going to grow with you as you improve yourself. And so you have to keep going on that path without them to do what is right to better yourself. The fourth truth that I've chosen is for when you've had this realization and you reflect on your old life and you feel regret for the way you used to live. You don't live that way anymore, but you feel guilty over it. Musashi would say, Today is victory over yourself of yesterday. Tomorrow is your victory over lesser men. So don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, or who you were a week ago, or who you were a year ago, or who you were a decade ago. It doesn't matter where you are, but where you started and how far you've come. Each new day that you're taking, either to learn a new skill, or not partaking in an old bad habit, is a step in the right direction. And the last one that I've chosen is possibly one of the most important ones from Musashi. Quote, There is more than one path to the top of the mountain. End quote. So remember when I mentioned the precept of the truth being littered with the bodies of the ignorant. There is no one path for everyone to come to the truth or to achieve a goal or what have you. Some people get hung up on why aren't you doing this or that? And maybe you have and it just and you just haven't had the same luck. It's okay to try it. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And there is more than one way or more than one path for you to reach what you are trying to achieve or find. Musashi would die in 1645 from what historians believe to have been lung cancer. His second book, Dokado, he wrote one week before he died. I think he knew he was going to die soon when he wrote it. I think that Musashi learned a lot of the truths that he wrote down. I think he learned them the hard way. It's no surprise considering the era that he grew up in. Even growing up in the tail end of the Warring States era, which is one of the most violent and long-lasting civil wars in Japanese history, where dying in battle was a common occurrence for any random citizen. He must have thought about the future long after he'd be gone and wished to impart wisdom for people to follow so that hopefully the violence he grew up in, in his country, would not be repeated. Japan remembers Musashi as what is known as a kensei, which translates to sword saint, and he is someone we can all learn from even today. I want to thank you for listening to these last five episodes on the samurai. If you weren't familiar with them, 
I'm sure it was uh, kind of hard to follow at times, and I tried my best to make it as easy as I could for the for you, the listener, to follow along. But that's not an easy task when covering a culture different from the one that I, and I'm sure many of you listening, grew up in. The tentative plan for the next few episodes... Uh, there, I may have a couple of other things before this. We'll see how it goes, but I'm going to kind of bring back sort of a grab bag variety of episodes. More on the variety show side of things. Anyway, if you have if you haven't already and you enjoy listening to the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a five star rating and or review, or go to both. It helps the show get noticed. If you like the music featured in these Warrior Series episodes, please go check out David Chas. He's an excellent composer. A link to his site will be in the description. Until the next episode, I as always thank you for listening.